Hello, friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. We're going to continue our series tonight on life without limits and uh, going to leave. uh, We're going to touch actually where we left off last week. We talked about how in the spirit we have a limitless life, that there's power, that there's resource, that there's plenty in the spirit. But many times in the natural, we see the limited when God wants us to see the unlimited. You know, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, but he didn't stop there. He said, but also that you might have it more abundantly. Okay, so he didn't just come and give his life so that we could stay alive, eke by, scratch by, you know, have a scratch and sniff existence. Remember those in kindergarten, first grade, second grade? I love the grape. You know, you just scratch those grapes, go home. And whenever I'd get an actual grade above C, I'd get a scratch and sniff, you know, and I thought that was the big deal. I got above C. God wants you to live above average. God wants you to have a little more than just average. Just scratch and buy, eek and buy. It's no testimony for you to just scratch by. Okay? He wants you to have the, the abundant life. And last week we kind of had a metaphor. We talked about you could have the DNA of a champion runner. We talked about that inside of your system, inside of your blood, you could have the DNA or the structure to be a champion marathon runner. But regardless of your DNA and design, if you're not willing to train, if all you do is try, you are limited. It's in the training that something comes out. And so we talked about the difference between people that just try, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to serve you, God. I'm just trying to do better. God, I'm just trying to do something. I'm just trying to do that. And moving into training ourselves and disciplining ourselves to walk in the Spirit and begin to do the things that the Spirit leads us to do. Well, tonight we're going to go a whole lot farther. I doubt we'll complete it all, but if you're taking notes, I want to just give you that same Scripture that we read last week. Here it is. John chapter 3, verse 34. It says, God gives the Spirit without limit. Without limit. It's not like God gives you a little bit, uh, just a... And he placed it all in Christ. And the interesting thing is, Jesus said in John fourteen twelve, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will even do greater things than these. Okay? Because I'm going to the Father. So the spirit that was in Christ is without limit. And Jesus is saying, you can have the same spirit that I have in the same amount. So the limits truly are imposed on our end. They're not imposed on God's end. It's not that God wants you to have just a little bit, and that's just His will for your life. You can have as much as you want. Last week we talked about going to the brass door, and we talked about pork chop mountain. And as many pork chops you want to eat, they just keep bringing them to you. It's the same with God. If you want more of the Spirit, you can have it. If you don't want more, you don't get more. It's truly up to you. So the question arises, Is God pouring out a finite amount of His Spirit or is it an infinite amount? I say and argue that it's infinite. I say we can have as much as we want of His presence. So if that's the case, let's look at a couple more areas in our lives tonight before we wrap up in the way we limit ourselves in the Spirit of God, okay? Here's one way we do that. We see limited presence. We see limited presence. 
And because we see limited presence, we see limited power. You see, God does things by the power of His presence. Are you getting this? Okay. Mm -hmm. The anointing breaks the yoke. What's the anointing? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's what it is. And so you can pray all day long, quote Scriptures all day long. If you don't have the presence of God and what you're doing, it's going to fall. And so limited presence equals limited power. You know, when you turn the water on and out of your spigot, many of you probably have those showers that just give you a massage. You know, that kind of deal. Well, I have three women in my house. And I got rid of those puppies, man. I got something that just spits it out a little bit because my water bill would be sky high. Now, I don't think any of them are in here tonight, so don't tell them I've done that. I haven't told them that. But I noticed that I had those on both shower heads and my water bill was just going through the roof because they were just getting into that. Well, yeah, let me talk to you a little bit about how water works. You see, water comes out of that spigot because there's pressure on the other end. And in most cities and towns, they've got a water tower. Okay? And there was a point in time when many towns had a water tower and it had a limited supply for that town. Okay? You had to live in close proximity. Say the word proximity, please. You had to live in close proximity to that tower or the pressure, your water pressure, would decrease with distance. Okay? So after a while, as towns grew bigger, they started putting pumps on the line to carry the water even farther so they wouldn't have to spread the land with water towers. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's pretty cool. By the way, did you know that just a cu cubic foot of water weighs 62 pounds? So to sit up in that water tower, there's plenty of pressure. But as you increase the distance, you have to have pumps so that the pressure will get to every home. Okay? God is into you getting the water of His Spirit. But God is not into the distance. God will not provide pumps along the way. If you increase your distance from His presence, you will see a decrease in pressure. Power is equal to proximity. Your proximity to His presence is an increase naturally in His power. If you continue to increase the distance, you will see a drop in pressure. Pardon the expression, but I remember a Seinfeld episode where they couldn't get water pressure, and Kramer walked around with his hair all jacked out this way and that way. We want water pressure. I don't want to take a shower and it just spit on me. I want to get that soap out of my hair. Thank God that I'm close. Thank God. You know, and that's what God wants us to do. God uses the pressure of His Spirit to do powerful things in our lives, but it's our responsibility to be close enough to get that pressure and receive it. The closer you are to the source, the more unlimited the flow. If you're thirsty, you will move. If you're thirsty, you will move. And God uses dry seasons and dry places to move you closer. God is in charge of dry ground. He wants you to understand the proximity of His presence, how to move in His presence, and stop adapting ourselves to distance and living on just dry ground. 
If you're dry and you're thirsty, you don't be discouraged tonight because God is on the way. If you'll just come a little closer, something wonderful will happen. Even to the enemy that's pursuing you. If you think about it, look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 16. I'll read it for you here. It says, says this, you will go over on dry ground. Now, in that text, God says that four times. Now, it's, it's, it's not that Moses and the people were hard of hearing. God, God said it four times over because God wanted them to understand that this is very, very important. As the enemy is pursuing you, as you travel through this sea, you're going to go on dry ground. And I believe that ground was completely dry. It wasn't even muddy. It was dry, drier than a bone. Dry. I want you to see that. God uses dry ground to defeat your enemy. We know that Pharaoh and his army is in quick pursuit. God uses the dryness to deal with what is pursuing you that is not of Him. But God also uses dry ground or dry seasons in your life to deal with your flesh, to deal with your sinful nature, to deal with your sinful desires. He uses those dry ground moments to move you closer because thirst is important. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Thirsty is a great thing. If you're thirsty tonight, you're a candidate for His presence. Just move closer. Just move closer. I want to tell you tonight, dry ground is the exact place where the devil will come after you. But dry ground is also the exact place where God destroys the enemy. And that happened to Pharaoh. That happened to his armies. In Exodus 14.28, it says, The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. And so God draws us closer when there's dryness. He also defeats what's pursuing us. And then in that same moment, what defeated our enemy wets our soul. It, 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 it brings, it quenches our spiritual thirst and brings us back into his presence. How dry are you tonight? That's your limit. That's going to limit you spiritually. That's a gauge for you. Here's the next limit, if you will. It comes from our prayer life. You see, we don't pray enough. We don't pray enough. Most Christians, when they hear that, they would readily admit that. But I don't mean it in the way that most Christians would say it. When I say we don't pray enough, most of us are automatically thinking the length of our prayers, the duration of our prayers, or how often we pray. I need to pray 10 minutes more, or I need to pray an hour more. Or the frequency of our prayers. I need to pray more than once a day, more than three times a week, and so on. I'm not talking about that particularly. That can always increase and get better. I'm talking more about the breadth of our prayers, or the scope of our prayers, or the size of our prayers. You see, most of us are praying and limiting ourselves in our own prayers by praying pea-sized prayers. Little pea-sized, little morsel, little scrap. God, give me the scraps off your table. Prayers. Because we're afraid to believe God for anything bigger. I want to tell you tonight, that is a way to limit yourself in the Spirit. I want to challenge you in this tonight. Watch this, watch this. I want you to start praying in a way that you bite off more than you can chew. That's how your prayer life needs to be. It needs to be so big that you can't eat it. So big that if God doesn't intervene, it can't happen. 
so so large that it takes more than just you and your faith to accomplish it. That's the way to pray. The kind of prayers where it takes God to intervene to get it done. It's believing in a big and an even bigger God. And it's moving beyond the peace-sized praying. Sometimes we think, well, I'm praying for a good day, and if I get one, that's a bonus. You know, it was a great day today. I want to tell you tonight, that's not enough. That's not enough. That's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough when you consider Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, when it says, now to him who is what? Able to do immeasurably more. Did you get that? To him who is able to do immeasurably more than, watch this, all we ask or imagine. In other words, He's able to do more than you're praying. And He's willing to do more than you're praying. So all you got to do is pray bigger. Mm -mm 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 -mm. That's an astonishing promise. It's saying that God is really actually bigger than our prayers in the way we're praying. Because you know God might, might just be bigger than the way you're asking Him and what you're asking Him to do. Get a load of this. I want to continue that verse. Paul's saying here, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. Verse 19, I love this. It says, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. Now, you got to slow down when you read verses sometimes. Because you look past all that and you say, well, isn't that neat? Another verse on love. It's another verse on how much God loves me. That it's big love. It's obviously really, really, really big love. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, I'm praying for you guys, you Ephesians, to know this understandable or this rather ununderstandable love. In other words, it's a logical impossibility. He's saying, I want you to get this I want you to know the unknowable. Let me back up. He says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know something that surpasses your own knowledge. I'm waiting for light bulbs to come on here. Paul's saying, I want you to know something that, are, that, that surpasses what you could possibly know on your own. And Paul's saying, I'm going to pray that you do know it. Now that's a big prayer. That's a really, really big prayer. He's almost slapping him in the face and saying you're, you're ignorant of how big your God is. So I'm going to pray that your brain gets a little bigger spiritually so that you can take it in. That's a cool prayer. That's an awesome prayer. Some of you are thinking, I know some people who need that prayer. Could be pastor. Now the Ephesians probably freaked out when they read that letter. Paul was probably freaking out when he prayed it. I believe that God answered it. I believe that Paul was biting off more than he could chew in his prayer life. And I believe that God would answer. You know, one of the most glaring discrepancies in the Christian faith today is between the size of our God and the size of our prayers. I think that God wants to push the limits on what we pray for. I, wants, I, I believe that God wants us to move beyond our limitations and what we think that He can do. Beyond our wildest dreams or the things that we could possibly conceive on our own. They don't even compare or come close to the endless power of God. We're settling for scraps, I believe, church. I believe we're settling for scraps when we could have unlimited power of the presence and the Spirit of God. 
Here's another way that we limit ourselves, at least in our prayer life. Let me continue here. We pray passive prayers. Passive prayers. In other words, God, get the devil off me, please. Prayers. In other words, God, I can't. Prayers. God is not impressed because that is not praying according to His Word. And we need to be taught and trained in His Word. We need to stop trying and we need to start training. What does His Word say about prayer and how we're supposed to be bold? (laughs) Did you know that boldness is a command throughout both the Old Testament and the New? Boldness isn't a sin. Boldness is a direct result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's also a direct result of going into warfare. We see that coming upon Joshua. God says three times, be bold, be strong. Go do what I've told you to do, but be bold first. Don't walk in and be passive about it. Don't walk in and let the enemy see, oh, I don't know, God, I just don't know. God, if you don't intervene, we're done. He knows that. What are you saying that for? God, I just can't. Really? Really? Let's kind of study this here a little bit. You can't, huh? You can't? Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says, I've given you. Who? Who? Would you wake up, please? Who? Me or you? That's both both good. He says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all, all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Who gets the authority? Us. All of us. Now watch this. Have you ever had authority before? If you would, just slip up your hand. I mean this non-rhetorically. If you've ever been in an authority before, an authority position before, okay? Now, many hands have went up. So you're going to help me here, okay? By just nodding your head or just saying, yeah, that's true, Pastor, okay? Your first, your second, your third day of authority, the absolute worst thing that you could do is walk in and say, I can't do this in front of all the people that you're in authority over. I learned authority in a prison. I was a corrections officer. That's where I learned authority. I didn't walk up in front of 300 inmates and lock down and say, guys, I just can't do this. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I got a uniform. I got keys. They tell me I'm in charge, but, you know, go to bed, please. Stand count, please. (laughs) Yeah. The enemy's the same way. He knows if you realize you have authority or not. He knows it. Whether you get it or not, He does. And He's got that figured out already. So if you're stepping around and you're saying, well, I got this, but I just don't know what to do. I just can't. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And then it starts to contaminate your prayer life. And you begin praying to God. And you say, God, you, God, get the devil off me. God, deal with this. God, please do this. God, please. And God's saying, you do it. You do it. I've given you the authority to do it. If I place you in charge of something at this church, I would hope that you wouldn't walk in front of those people as you serve them. We are servant leaders. As you serve them, I would hope you wouldn't walk in front of them and say, you know what, pastor asked me to do this, but I don't know what I'm doing. Does anybody else here know what they're doing? I would be embarrassed. That would bother me because I would think I gave you the authority to do something. You should take it. You should be bold with it. You should command. That's a problem in the United States and Western culture. We think, you know, in this kinder, gentler time we live in today where uh, everybody's afraid to give orders, 
I don't have a problem with authority. I'm under authority. I've got plenty of people I answer to. You know, and I'm accountable to them too. And I believe that covers me and protects me spiritually. Amen? Same for you. I don't have a problem taking authority either. Hello? If I don't take authority, the devil will. And he'll take whatever I leave. Now, he doesn't have any unless I give it to him. And this is what we're doing. We're constantly, I don't, I can't, I don't know, I don't know. And Jesus said, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you all power and authority over the enemy. It's yours. So why are we praying when we go to God? Why are we limiting ourselves by saying, God, I can't do it when God is saying, I've given you the authority to do it. Do it. Do it. You give the orders. I told you here recently, there are over 70,000 promises in God's Word ready for you to claim and use. If you don't use them, you don't get them. You don't get them. They're already yours. They belong to you. God prepared them in advance for you. The power to do it is not yours. It's His. But the authority to do it is yours. If I put a police officer uniform on you, and we got Barney Fife together with Andy, and we deputized you and put you out in the middle of the square and had you stop traffic, you don't have the power to stop those cars, but you have the authority to do it. You understand. When you put out your hand like this, people are going to stop because of the uniform. The power comes from him. It's still his. It hasn't changed. But you have the authority, and you better use it. You don't say, stop, it's saving the law, like that little girl off police academy. You know, you remember her? Don't run it. Just thinking, don't rent that. But used to be a little, and she couldn't speak. She yelled, stop it, stop the name of the law. Nobody listened to her. You know, it's not your power that makes it happen, but it is your authority. You've got to learn how to use it. It's just like going to a hotel where you have reservations and they've been made for you already. You drop the name at the reservation table and the name is Jesus, right? And they hand you the keys to the room and you walk in and you enjoy the room why because you stopped with authority and you gave the right name right and you followed the word that was given to you it's all there for us folks you know god is calling us to be prayer warriors not prayer warriors worry contaminates our prayers it just uh god let me tell you what i'm worried about or what i'm good and god just saying would somebody just believe me and use all the stuff that my son provided on the cross for them to do my son gave them all power and authority and all i hear is day after day worry 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 having confidence in god having boldness in god is not a sin it's very very scriptural it's taking the authority that god has given you and it will continue in your life if you use it, if you learn to use it, if you use it boldly. I love what Romans chapter 16, verse 20 says. It says that God defeats the enemy, but He does it underneath our feet. Okay? It says, be excellent at what is good and be innocent of evil. And it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. So not always immediate, but it says the God of peace will soon crush Satan and He'll do it under your feet. Okay, where does he do it? Under our feet. Does he do it? Sure. Do we have the authority to claim what he's already provided? Yes, we do. And we better start or we're only limiting ourselves. Here's one more before we close. I need to close, but I can't leave without talking about this one. We need to stop praying future tense. 
you're going you're to need to write that down or take a strong mental note of it because we do this so often, we have no idea that it's unscriptural. I want to challenge you tonight. Begin in your prayer life, in the proximity of His presence, to pray past tense. Just let that sink in. You're thinking, what? How do I, how do I pray past tense? Well, here's what I'm going to teach you before we leave, that all of the promises of God are in past tense. In other words, they're already done. In other words, you already have and it's already available what you're asking for. It's not that you ask and God has to send 20 angels to get busy, like little elves for Santa that goes to work to get your prayer answered. Here's what I want to teach you tonight. Before you ask, before you were even born to ask, God prepared it and made it so. When you ask in faith, you are just lining yourself up and putting yourself in position to receive what He's already prepared for you by grace to have. So it's a past tense form of praying. And I think it's good because every provision from the Word of God is past tense. Let's look at a few Scriptures before we go. Of course, a familiar one is in Isaiah chapter 53. And we look at this a lot over Easter. It says, He took up our infirmities. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It says that the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all, and He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, we know that God has already done this. God God has already done this from where we're at today. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus made this Scripture happen, right? But I want you to see something a little bit deeper here, okay? As Isaiah prophesied it in Isaiah 53, that's when God said, yes, it's so. And I'll teach you why, okay? Because my Bible says that Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. So long before, long before Calvary even came about, it was already the plan of God to do it. Long before we even sinned and knew what sin was. Long before the garden, before that all happened, the Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world were made. So it was already the plan of God to provide. It was already the plan of God to bring it into unction. Look at Samuel chapter 7, verse 21. David is speaking here, and he's talking about how God is building up a lineage of kings through him. And in 2 Samuel seven twenty-one, it says this, For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done, past tense, you have done these, this great thing and made it known to your servant. God didn't do anything yet. These kings... We didn't see it in the natural yet. These kings didn't come yet. How can David say this? How can he say this? This is the nature of the prophetic word. How can David say that this is already done when in the natural it isn't done? And here's what I want to show you tonight, okay? Whatever happens in the natural is a result of the supernatural. And what happens in the supernatural first is spoken as a word. And then that word becomes flesh or becomes natural and then we see it. You understand that something happens first as a word. All of, all of creation was spoken by what? A word. And then we begin to see these things manifested. Okay, All God has to do is speak a word. Now see, God is already in your future and has already visited your future and has spoken where He wants you to be. 